Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. the 173rd edition of the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. In Nashville, Tennessee, I'm the professor, Matt Perkins. And a dig route across the Harpeth River from me here in the Music City, it's our own offensive coordinator, the coach, Corey Burton. What's up, guys? Well, uh, if you haven't, if you don't know, if you haven't been following Hillwood football, it is playoff time here in the mid-state or here in, actually here in the state, the entire state of Tennessee. Uh, we, uh, we have our first-round matchup this week against the Page Patriots. So we're going to the turf in Franklin, the artificial uh, kind that is, and we're going to take on the Page Patriots. But first, we've got a couple podcasts to knock out in preparation. So uh, I'm excited to be here and excited for a good matchup this Friday. I think we can win. All right, well, we can't get it started without the third amigo in the second city, a man who believes that all adders are puffs, our intrepid blogger from Big Ten and Counting, Josh <laughs> Cook. That's an inside joke for one of our favorite TV shows. Top Gear, RIP, it just hasn't been the same. And now another new cast, Matt. Do they, do they uh, finally get rid of Matt LeBlanc? Uh, he retired uh, of his own accord. He said that the travel was uh, too strenuous. And uh, get rid of what was it, Chris Evans? Yeah, he might have been tossed after yeah, his he was one season. Junk. He was no. bad. No. He was real bad. So the yeah. only uh, Sabine Schmidt was the only good part of that cast. So anyhow, yeah. that that's a different story for a different day. We got a lot of football to get through. So we're going to start off with some, some quick slants tonight. So, uh, Josh, I'm going to throw it to you first. I think there was a, an FCS player that caught your eye this weekend. Yeah, I think he caught everyone's eye. Aaron Dawson at Central Connecticut State University. You know, he he had kind of an average first half, had about 53 yards, you know, on pace for a 100-yard day. Nothing too special. Uh, The second half, he had 308 yards. Oh, my goodness. Um, I'll, I'll restate that again. He had 300 Eight yards to end with 361. Go turn offensive coordinator. You ever get 308 rushing yards and a half? Uh, no, not quite. What, what are you doing, man? I haven't like, gotten 300 rushing yards this season. Well, might have to pop in that tape of Aaron Dawson. Awesome day for that young man. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Coach, a bunch of games on the SEC this weekend, but one of the best ones was Kentucky at Mizzou. Yeah, that really was a uh, one of the best ones. That was a that was a barn burner, a low scoring barn burner, if you um, if you must say. But uh, Kentucky, who actually kept their SEC East hopes alive uh, with a good comeback win, they were on the ropes, man. Um, they didn't score a first touchdown. It was it seemed like forever, uh, but uh, Missouri was called for. Uh, a pass interference in the end zone that would have been the final play. Um, and the Wildcats got one last chance from the two. No time left on the clock. And what did they do? 
they scored. Um, so it was <laughs> – this game could be summed up in this one quote. Uh, Mark Stoops said, I felt like I was going to have a heart attack. Uh, he also said, amazing victory by our team. Just could not be more proud of the way this group, just the way we stuck together. So um, one word really to describe this game is resiliency. And, and Kentucky showed a lot of that. Um, Terry Wilson, tremendous, uh, tremendous poise, tremendous, just a clutch moment, uh, throwing that touchdown pass when he needed it the most. Uh, just all of these things that um, that Kentucky that have led to Kentucky being ranked twelfth in the country. They're sitting they're sitting pretty uh, in the East right now. And, they got a uh, big matchup this weekend with your dogs, who we'll they, get to a little bit later. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, you know, Benny Snell, uh, he was the fourth leading rusher. He was held to sixty seven yards on nineteen carries, and I, I feel like ninety percent of their offense runs through Benny Snell. And if you were to tell me. 19 carries for 67 yards. I would have said, well, Missouri won by three touchdowns, but uh, that wasn't the case. So uh, Kentucky, again, uh, they entered the game ranked second in the nation in scoring defense. And, uh, well, giving up only 14 points. To Mizzou, which is a big, you know, big scoring Mm -hmm. offense with Drew Locke. Exactly. And uh, a team that scored 65 points just a week ago uh, just couldn't do anything uh, against the stingy defense and and uh, defensive running game is just how Kentucky has been winning uh, all these games so um, you know hats off to Kentucky um, but I, I think the, the one of the biggest takeaways from this game uh, if you're a Missouri fan or even if you're a Kentucky fan of how lucky you were or how much uh, blank 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 it is uh, depending on which side of the fence you're on uh, but that that pass interference p- penalty um, was uh, something that will be talked about all week um, for Missouri fans. And Kentucky fans are going, my goodness, the refs finally called something our way. So um, very scary matchup this week um, for the Bulldogs. Uh, it'll be um, the biggest game in program history uh, for the Kentucky Wildcats. And uh, so that at, le- at least since the Bear Bryant era. Yes. I don't know about Kentucky history. I mean, that's a long time, but it might be. I mean, it's going to be a real big one. Hey, I'm just trying to build suspense for the game. It's it's probably in the last 50 years, the biggest game in the last 50 years. Well, talking about suspense, uh, my first slant, I want to talk about uh, a great game that took place at the Carrier Dome. And after my Badgers lost to Northwestern, which we'll get to a little bit later, I need to rebound a little bit. So I decided to go back to the team of my youth. Uh, watch something a little bit more enjoyable. Turned on Syracuse versus NC State. Game that I previewed during last week's preview show. And, oh, there's the Purdue train coming by. They did not do so great this weekend. Boy, but up. but uh, I was glad I, I turned on the Syracuse game, man. Uh, we talked about the potential quarterback conference controversy for the Orange uh, between Eric Dungy and uh, Tommy DeVito. But, man, uh, Eric Dungy put an end to the controversy. This game, guys, he was 27 for 38, 411 yards, three touchdowns, zero picks, and added another score on the ground in this 51-41 victory over the Wolfpack. For NC State, this was their second consecutive loss, but at least their offense showed up this week. Uh, quarterback Ryan Finley had you know some pretty gaudy stats, 473 yards of three scores, but his only interception, which was the only turnover in the game, came at probably the worst time possible. NC State had just gotten the ball back down 44-41 with three minutes left in the game. Third and 10 at their own 15. 
throws it right across the middle, picked off by uh, Syracuse linebacker Andrew Armstrong. For the Orange, this win means that they are bowl eligible for the first time since 2013. So good on you, Dino. I'm very happy to see this for Syracuse. Um, and, you know, I, I just I think we all really like what Dino has been building there. And I hope that it continues. So, uh, Josh, um, moving on from bowl eligible teams, teams that probably won't get there. There are a couple uh, not so gr- uh, not so great stories happening around the college football landscape. There are, there are. And before I get to the bad stuff, I just wanted to touch on Kentucky real quick. I was curious. I looked it up. Uh, yeah, they won a conference back with Bear Bryant in 1950, but this is probably their biggest game since 1976 when Fran Kersey led the boys to a co-conference title in the SEC. And to do it, they won at Tennessee in the finale. That was a pretty big win. Uh, They knocked off 15th-ranked Florida, but uh, not too far off. Said it's the biggest game in in a while. But awesome story for Kentucky. But, yeah, the – well, Kansas got it done. They got off the schneid. They won their first conference game. That leaves just 15 ball clubs without a conference win. It's important for rebuilding efforts to get a conference win. Those can be really important for a springboard to next season. Uh, East Carolina, well, they're, they should not be rebuilding. They're in Scotty Montgomery's like third season, third or fourth season. So uh, for this, it's probably the tail end of his uh, week tenure. But they do have Connecticut, so that's a good opportunity. Uh, Connecticut has both Tulsa and East Carolina, the two fellow winless teams in the American. So like somebody's got to get off the schneid. Yeah, so uh, Tulsa, they've got Connecticut and SMU at home. SMU's playing a little bit better as of late, but that's still maybe a winnable game for the Golden Hurricanes as they try and get going. Uh, Louisville, I'm sorry, I, I'm put a nail in you already. Um, I know you have some more conference games to go, but they are at Clemson, at Syracuse, at NC State. Their final game of the year is Kentucky, not a conference game. Uh, I don't see them winning another game the rest of this year. Rutgers, same situation at Wisconsin, Michigan, Penn State, at Michigan State. They're down stick a fork in them. Western Kentucky, this is a team that just cannot get out of their own way. They're making mistake after mistake after mistake. They can't win the close ones, like against Old Dominion, where they lost by a field goal, or Marshall, they lost by a field goal. And then they're also getting blowed out in some games. But they travel to FAU, who's had their own fits this season, as well as host UTEP. So an opportunity for Western Kentucky. Speaking of UTEP, not only they are winless in conference, they are 0-8, gentlemen. Uh, this is their first year under new management. We knew that this was going to be a long season. Uh, that trip to Western Kentucky, really a good opportunity to get a, a feel-good win for the Miners. The Rice Owls, one of the smallest programs around. They are struggling. They're 1-8, and eight, but they get UTEP, so maybe they uh, they can get that win at home. Bowling Green, they've already fired their coach, so uh, this is kind of a write-off with their interim coach. It doesn't really matter. Kent State, they are trying to rebuild, and the rebuild is not going very well, but their next game is at Bowling Green. That bodes well for the Golden Flashes to maybe get a conference win. Central Michigan, 1-8 and eight on the year. They are just all sorts of ugly right now. Their lone win is over FCS Maine. 
but they also have the golden they also have the bowling green falcon team so maybe the chips pick up their win there unlv this is a sad story they have had a rash of injuries to totally derail what we thought was going to be a little bit of a rebuilding breakthrough season this year and they don't have an easy one left they've got fresno at san diego state at hawaii and nevada who's playing much better ball that could clinch a bowl game for nevada so Rough, rough season for the Rebels, unfortunately. Mizzou, they just came up on the short end of being able to win a conference game. They are too good offensively to not get a win. They have home dates left against Vanderbilt and some random team from, I want to say, the state north of Louisiana. Uh, Speaking about that state north north of Louisiana, yeah, it's been ugly. We'll talk about them later, I'm sure, because we're probably forgetting about them right now. And that leaves lowly Texas State. They are the only winless team in the Sun Belt. They are just two and six overall in the year, and they do not exactly have an easy run. They've got at Georgia State, who's been playing a little bit better football this season. They've got App State. They have a trip to Troy, and they have Arkansas State. Based on all the injuries Appalachian State's having, that actually might be Texas State's best opportunity. But those are the 15 teams just dying for a victory here in the final month of the year. When App State is your best chance for a victory, that's not a good sign. Nope. Uh, Coach, elsewhere in the SEC, we saw a bit of an upset take place in Stark Vegas. Yeah, absolutely. It was a a sign of redemption uh, for – uh, another quarterback, you talked about one with Eric Dungy, who had a horrendous game uh, in previous the previous week or two, um, was in a quarterback controversy. Uh, Nick Fitzgerald was also, uh, he was the subject of much scrutiny in Starkville uh, because he had a, uh, he had a horrible game, probably arguably one of his worst of his career. Um, but he wasn't going to be denied against A&M. Uh, the play of the game, was that last touchdown where he just uh, is a zone read where he just goes bursting down the sideline um, and just like he shot out of a cannon really and uh, and scores a really long touchdown. So uh, it just Mississippi State just outplayed him in every facet of the game. Uh, Fitzgerald's stats, uh, 241, uh, threw for 241 and two touchdowns. He ran for two more scores again. Um, it just – you know, when Mississippi State has its passing game rolling, when Nick Fitzgerald has his passing game rolling, they're tough to beat uh, because they're already a pretty good team. They've got that, that great tandem um, in the uh, on the on the front seven there on the defensive line, and uh, you know they get help from their secondary Errol Errol Thompson. I think I said that right. He picked off a ball in the end zone with two thirty six remaining. That snuffed out. Uh, any sort of momentum that Texas A&M thought they might have uh, been uh, been getting. Um, that touchdown run was 76 yards, uh, by the way. Uh, Kellerman, he was 23 of 46 for 232 and a touchdown and a pick. Uh, but the the stat of the day for, uh, for the Aggies, they were just held to just 61 yards rushing. And when you don't have that much balance against, against the defense as talented as Mississippi State's, um, a, a defense that we've been raving about all year finally – finally just really showed up in clutch moments and they really provided a lot of opportunities for uh, Nick Fitzgerald in that offense. Um, they, uh, it just, 
they were just wreaking havoc on Kellamond all game long, pressuring them, rushing throws. A lot of a lot of plays that don't show up in the stat books, like hurries, uh, forcing bad throws, forcing incompletions, killing drives, getting you know, getting important tackles for loss, uh, things like that. Uh, just just being o- overall disruptive. Um, A and M just lives and dies on the big play. Um, they weren't able to get a lot of that um, to. To uh, to swing momentum in their favor, uh, Mond uh, missed a Kellen Mond missed a few long throws. Also, um, that would have that would have resulted in these big plays that they needed. And also, the receivers didn't help. They were dropping passes left and right. Travion Williams, um, he had just twenty six yards on the ground himself. Um, and then the defense, instead of uh, instead of getting big plays themselves, they gave up a lot of them. And uh, just just all around, just an off day for for A and M and their defense just did not respond. Kellerman was off. The receivers are off. They just weren't on the same page. I guess the cowbells just kind of kind of gave them fits and uh, distracted them more than any more than you think. So a uh, great game for Mississippi State. Uh, a good job of really just getting back on track, getting a little bit of confidence back. His confidence was extremely low uh, for the Bulldogs, and uh, it's good to see Nick Fitzgerald, um, you know, after one of the worst games of his career, uh, just bounce back in the way that he did. Yeah, it's definitely nice to see that. Um, you know, I think we all like Joe Moorhead a lot, and people have been starting to get down on him a little bit. But, you know, I, I think he he dialed up a really nice game plan in this one. Um and and he's new, and that that you know that kind of thing is going to happen. Like every every rookie head coach's first year is a bit of a uh, you know a, a bit of a cluster, and you know, you're going to have your up and down moments. Kirby certainly had him. Nick Saban certainly had him. Uh, Jeremy Pruitt's going through it right now, although his team is really competitive over there. Um, they, they just can't seem to they just can't seem to get over the hump in a lot of games. They uh, you know they had a double digit lead against South Carolina. They just couldn't quite get over the hump. Uh, there in South Carolina was just able to run on will with them and and uh, and and able to 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 get the victory there. But uh, you know I'm impressed with what Jeremy Pruitt's doing at Tennessee. I think he's done a tremendous job of just making them competitive, and that's about yeah. all you can ask for there. Yeah, and he and he's doing really well on the recruiting trail. So you you you, you got to think that you know in a year or two Tennessee is going to be back up as another power in the East. Yes. All right. Well, uh, for my final slant, uh, I'm going to get to a couple of Pac-12 games that we're not going to talk about later. That's the big one between Washington State and Stanford. But a lot the of greatest crazy, game that nobody saw. <laughs> a lot of crazy results across the conference. I'm going to sprint through them as fast as I can. Uh, we'll start Friday night. Utah rolled through UCLA behind 200 plus yards and three touchdowns from Zach Moss. Uh, elsewhere, Cal at home in Berkeley shot number 15 Washington with a defensive performance for the ages held the huskies 250 total yards got a pick six in the third quarter that ended up being the decisive score in the game they washington even benched jake browning in this one he has really taken a couple steps back recently which is uh, not good to see if you're a husky fan but uh, uh for them it was a different jake that uh, was ended up coming in for him but probably be eason next year Elsewhere, Arizona absolutely mollywhomped Oregon on homecoming in Tucson, 44-15. I love the verb there. Uh, they were propelled by another 200-yard game from J.J. Taylor, their stud running back. Khalil Tate also had his best game of the year for the Wildcats. Uh, 
their cross-state rival went into the Coliseum and proceeded to run all over USC. Eno Benjamin, 285 yards and two scores for uh, the Sun Devils. Finally, Oregon State got their first conference win since they won the Civil War back in 2016, which ended up being the final nail in the coffin for Mark Helfrich. They won this one in a crazy overtime game against Colorado. The Buffs were actually up 31-3 to early on in the third quarter following a uh, the first play of scrimmage in the second half was a 75-yard run, run for a touchdown for the Buffs. But... Um, the the Beavers came back behind quarterback Jake Luton. He had himself quite a game. He threw for 310 yards and three scores. Uh, in a lot of ways, I think this might be an absolutely crippling loss for the Buffs. They would have become bowl eligible with this win. Their final four games are at Arizona versus Washington State versus Utah and at Cal. They'll probably be underdogs in all four of those. So unless you're able to pull an upset, Arizona's probably the best bet. But, you know, with the way that that offense is working right now and what they just did to Oregon, you never know. Buffs and Mike McIntyre might not be bowling this year. So um, we before we get to our pop quiz, gentlemen, a uh, quick recap from our formations from this past week. Uh, Corey, you and I both did all right this week. Three and two for both of us. Josh, hey. another hmm. rough week for you, my friend. One and four. Uh, whatever. Um, uh, hey, my Arizona pick, just FYI, they are quietly three and three. And they're still behind my Utah pick. Yeah, but Utah has... Arizona State, mm-hmm. Oregon, mm-hmm. and Colorado left. Mm-hmm. My, U- my USC pick just uh, fired his entire offensive staff. USC has Oregon State, Cal, UCLA, and Tyson Helton's just going to take oh. over the entire the entire team. And so, so all Arizona needs to do is beat Colorado, beat Arizona State, and somehow win up in Pullman. Yeah, that's going to be uh that's going to be a tough one. <laughs> but uh we were all on the wrong side of that barn burner at Heinz Field this weekend. Uh Pitt won outright after being two and a half point home dogs to the Dukies. Uh Corey and I were on the right side of that Iowa State game. Uh they were three and a half point favorites over Texas Tech. They won by nine. We all got Kentucky covering at Mizzou. They won outright like coach mentioned a couple minutes ago after being six and a half point dogs in Columbia. Corey called that Northwestern covering uh, Wisconsin after Wisconsin was six and a half point favorites lost outright. We'll talk about that in a little bit. And guys, uh, yet again, Jayhawks coming through for yours truly. They not only covered the, that 14 point spread at home against TCU, but won outright. Rock chalk, baby. Rock chalk. Garrett Patterson isn't going anywhere because he is amazing. But he might have about 25 new assistants on the staff next season. Yeah, especially uh, that I, I don't know what is going I don't know what's going on with that TCU team this year. I, I picked them to be second in the Big 12, and they have just fallen apart. They've gotten bad quarterback play. Defense is way more porous than usual, so. Well, guys, before we get to our deep roots, uh, take out your number two pencils, get your scantrons and blue books ready. Time for a pop quiz. This weekend, UAB shut out those hapless, hapless miners from UTEP that Josh talked about a little bit ago, uh, 19-0. This was their fifth shutout since the turn of the century. 
However, there are 21 teams that have pitched at least 10 shutouts since 2000. So, gentlemen, your job is to name those 21 teams with at least 10 shutouts since the year 2000. Josh, throwing it to you first. So this is a tricky question because it can't just be teams that are good at defense recently. So, Mm -hmm. like, I left Washington off my list because they were pretty bad until Chris Peterson got there. And I feel like Alabama's a safe bet that they've been good for a while and they like to play defense. Uh, that is correct. Alabama leads the country with 25 shutouts since the year 2000. And all of them uh, were 2008 and on because the early 2000s Bama was Haribo. Um, <laughs> so it's Shula. not Rutgers. Um, yeah, it's pitch to shut out, not Ben shut out. Yes, pitch oh, to shut oh, out. Oh, okay. <laughs> pitch, pitch to not Ben shut out. So, okay, let me right, let me mark off Rutgers, uh, Kansas, um, Oregon Coach, State. Coach, I'm going to need an answer from you. Oh, yeah, sorry. Uh, give me Florida State. Florida State Ooh. is correct. They are tied for ninth with 12 shutouts. Nice. Nice. Josh. Well, I know that they have been giving up a lot of points this year, and they seem to win a lot of games lopsided, but it's like always 56 to 10. But the 2000s do include trestle ball, where they're winning every game 6 nothing. So I will go with Ohio State. They are tied for third with 15. Well done, Josh. All right. Um, give me uh, Boomer Sooner because between Brett and Vittables uh, and uh, Mike Stoops, they have 10 shutouts. Uh, that is correct, Coach. Actually, they are tied for six with 13 shutouts. Mm. Josh? Nice. Well, one team that popped into my head based on some of that info Coach just gave would be Clemson. Clemson. Clemson, Clemson, Clemson. Oh, so close, Josh. They have nine shutouts. Oh. Hannibal's hadn't been there quite long enough. Sorry, Josh. Yeah, but but Tommy Bowden didn't mind playing some defense. Well, apparently not enough. (laughs) Not enough. That's your first strike, Josh. Coach. Yeah. Okay. Uh, speaking of Death Valley, give me the other team, the other Death Valley team. Give me the LSU Tigers. LSU um, is number three with 15 shutouts. Well done, Coach. LSU are correct. Nice. Nice. So I don't know how many they've had the last few years having to play in the pack in the Big Twelve, but Gary Patterson, he knows defense and he got to go against the WAC and the Mountain West for a while. I'm gonna go with TCU. Yeah, good co- choice, Josh. They are tied with LSU with fifteen shutouts. Coach. Speaking of the world's largest outdoor cocktail party, uh give me the Gators. The Gators, Flo Rida. Sorry, they're tied with Clemson with only nine. That is your first strike, Coach. I knew the Gators would let me down. They always (laughs) do. They always do. All right, three to three with each of one strike. Josh, you're up. 
let's see. I'm going to be doing a little bit of a reach potentially because they haven't been in FBS for that long. But my God, Appalachian State knows how to play defense. Appalachian State, interesting choice. Um, Unfortunately, Josh, they only have five shutouts. Only five. Yeah, I think that has to do with the lack of time. I Mm -hmm. I wasn't... Wasn't factoring that in as much as I should, but I know they like to play defense in Boone. They do. They do like to play defense in Boone, but they only have five shutouts. So, uh, Josh, two strikes for you. Coach, you're up. It's all about the you. Miami. Sorry, Coach. Uh, Miami also tied with Clemson and Florida with nine. That's your second strike. Come on, Ed Reed. <laughs> shut out. <laughs> well, this feels like a safe pick based on the 2000s still having Barry and Burt and Wisconsin has played good defense in the past. I know they're banged up this year, but I'm going to go with the Badgers. Badgers are a good call. They have 10. They are tied with uh, four other schools. With 10 shutouts. Well done. Coach. I'm going to go on a limb and say, I'm going to stay. I'm going to go back into the Big 12. I'm going to go early Big 12 uh, when Texas was uh, really good before they hit their lull. And I'm going to say the Longhorns. Longhorns are correct. Uh, They are tied for ninth, 12 shutouts. Josh. Hmm. Well, there's a certain Pac-12 team that likes to play like a Big Ten team, so I'm going to try the Stanford Cardinal. Ooh, sorry, Josh. They only have eight. You have so out. Oh, Uh, I feel like Manny Machado. I just fell on my ass. Uh, Coach, uh, for the win. For the win. I am going to say... The Michigan Wolverines. That would be a good choice. They also have 12. Ooh. Well See, done. I, I thought the Rich Rod and Brady Hoke era would have been too long to knock them out. <sighs> Apparently not. Well done, I coach. think Lloyd. Uh, I, I think Lloyd, even though he can't spell Lloyd without two L's, uh, he's still got enough shutouts to uh, get it done. Lloyd! Lloyd. You got you guys got number one Alabama. I'm really surprised. Alabama had 25. Uh, the second place team you guys didn't get, which really shocked me. You guys have never heard of Beamer Ball, apparently. Virginia Tech, they have 22. Um, uh, then uh, following them, it, it falls all the way off to 15. You guys got LSU, Ohio State, TCU. You guys were missing Boise State, Oklahoma. Guys, tied with those two at 13. I said Oklahoma. Tied with those two at 13 is Rutgers. Mm, chop that wood. So uh, here's the thing about Beamer Ball. When I think of Beamer Ball, I think of the 1990s. That's true. Uh, let's be honest. It fell off pretty hard. I mean, there was a game that they lost 6-3 to three in overtime to Wake Forest. Yeah, hey, but you remember I, when it was? I said it, Oklahoma. You did say Oklahoma, but um, you, you got credit for it. Don't worry. Okay. Um, and you still won. So other teams you guys missed. Uh, Florida State has 12. Coach, your alma mater has 12. Um, 
Penn State also at 12, as well as Mark Rick never shut anybody out, as well as USC. (laughs) Other teams you guys miss Kansas State, Central Florida. I almost said Kansas State, and then for whatever reason, I went with Stanford ahead of it. Kansas State, Central Florida, Auburn, Boston College, Tennessee, and perhaps outside of Rutgers, the most surprising team I found on here, Virginia. God, I had. BC on my list, too, because Steve Adazio, all he does is play defense. And before that, they had a guy with the crazy last name. He was a defensive guy. And then before that, they had Tom O'Brien, who was also a defensive guy. Why did I say Stanford ahead of those two teams? I don't know. Uh, Josh, I was surprised you didn't say Iowa. They actually that, – that would have been a, a, good, a good choice, but they only had nine. So, Well, I figured uh, their Maryland shutout earlier this season was their first shutout since, like, 2010. Yeah. Well, so I, I figured that ate up too much of the decade. Yeah, and you guys got the other three teams, Clemson, Florida, and Miami, that all had nine. So I was the only other one that had nine as well. All right, Coach, you win this round. Well done. Uh, let's head to the deep roots now. Uh, and We'll start where the world's largest outdoor cocktail party uh, started out close. Uh, first half was pretty close, but ended up with Georgia winning in, with a dominant second half. Uh, Coach, what what in particular did the dogs do to slay the Gators? Well, Jake Fromm had a, a tremendous bounce-back game. I mean, he threw three beautiful touchdown passes. And uh, I think that Kirby and Jim Chaney decided that maybe our identity is to go tempo and throw the ball a lot more frequently and, and mix it up more because – when you go tempo, they figured out you can still run the ball. Uh, you don't have to huddle up and eat up clock uh, to, uh, to to be to be effective running the ball. And and they decided to finally just let Jake Fromm be Jake Fromm, and that was and and he looked way more comfortable. Uh, the defense tightened up in the second half uh, against the run after getting. Uh, pretty much gashed in the in the first half they had three takeaways um so it, it was just an all-around they just bounced back honestly uh they did a lot of things great um deandre swift had a hundred yard game um and he delivered the knockout blow there in the fourth quarter with a 33 yard touchdown run um jeremiah holloman who hasn't done a whole lot up until now or jermaine holloman i, I should say um he had two touchdown passes and one uh, is going to definitely be used as clinic tape on how to uh, execute a jump ball. And, uh, and so just, you know, again, um, getting Florida off the field, um, picking up huge third down conversions, moving the chains, um, you know, again, um, just being able to run and pass at the same time, um, getting pressure on Felipe Franks, uh, they were winning first down. Uh, they had trouble. They had trouble on second down. Uh, they would get. They would get Florida in second and long situations, and and they would uh, defense would give up a big gainer and 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 make it third and short, and and that really kind of helped Florida in the first half keep it close. But then once the dogs started winning first and second down, uh, things became extremely tough for Florida. Um, just a lot of things like that. And, um, you know, a positive for Florida was goal line stand. Uh, seven plays, minus one yard, three points, four and a half minutes off the clock. Probably one of the oddest 
drive summaries you'll ever see in your life. Uh, Georgia gets a fumble recovery on the one, uh, takes them seven plays to determine they can't move it, so they have to kick a field goal. Um, so that'll be probably one of the things that's most talked about from this game. Um, kind of embarrassing for Georgia, even in a 19-point win. Uh, so uh, very much impressed with the, the piecemeal of the offensive line. Uh, Andrew Thomas goes down early in the game. Uh, Solomon Kinley comes in. Uh, DeAndre Baker plays uh, spots that they don't normally play. They held it down. Andrew Th- uh, Solomon Kinley goes down. Andrew Thomas comes back in the game. Uh, Mikal Hardman gets his ankle rolled up. He comes back later on and contributes in, in just – uh, just a great effort uh, by Georgia. Just a great bounce back effort, and, and you, you could tell that they've done a ton of work over the bye week. And, and really, it's it's a team that's growing up. It's a team that's kind of finding leaders. They're kind of finding their identity, and it looks like it all kind of emerged uh, in this game. Josh, uh, how did you feel about Georgia's effort in this one? I thought Georgia just played to form, and and they they're the better team. Uh, they're the deeper team. They've had their coaching staff in place more. Uh, I think as Florida raised through the rankings and got to a top 10 place, uh, people were starting to buy them a little bit more than they should. Uh, we all love Dan Mullen. He's going to do some really, really good things at Florida. But this is still his first year. Um, their offense was still kind of getting by with smokes and, smoke and mirrors. And Georgia's too well coached, too talented to be fooled by that. You kind of saw it. Coach alluded to the second half rushing numbers for Florida not being as effective. Um, Felipe Franks really struggled in this game, a step back game for him, just 13 to 21 for 105 yards. Um, but, but the little things also hurt Florida. They're not good enough yet to survive minus three turnover margin. They're not good enough to have more penalties uh, than Georgia. I know they had fewer penalty yards, but think of all the times penalties – you know, stall a drive, get you behind the chains with a, you know, silly false start, say one's first intent, things like that. So uh, the team that was supposed to win won it. Uh, this was a nice appetizer of a cocktail for future dates as Florida gets better and Dan Mullen gets the program where he wants it to be. Uh, but for this year specifically, it was Georgia taking care of business one step closer to the inevitable SEC title game. All right. Well, while Coach's team managed to get the win, we can't say the same about your team, Josh, unfortunately. They fell to the Nittany Lions 30-24. to our, in, our text, in our text chain on Saturday, Josh, uh, you said that Nathan Stanley lost the game for the Hawks. Do you care to elaborate? Yeah. So, uh, you know, hate to, hate to rag on a kid, but um, Iowa had a – Beautiful fake play. TJ Hawkinson, not a soul around him. Walk-in touchdown. And Stanley uncorks about a 100-mile-an-hour fastball and overthrows a tight end by about 40 yards. Terrible pass. Um, It was a pass that, like, a junior high kid can connect on. I don't know what happened on that one. Uh, End of the game, Iowa's down six. They have first and goal at the three-yard line. He wants to kill a play. He's yelling, kill, kill, kill. He looks up at the clock. The clock's out one second. So then he snaps the ball. Noah Fant, the receiver that was supposed to be the target on that play, 
is doing the correct thing. Noah Fant is looking at the wide receiver and telling the wide receiver we're killing the play. So when Stanley snaps it, Noah Fant doesn't move because he's got his back to the play. He's not watching the ball because he's trying to tell the receiver in a loud environment to kill the play. Without looking, Stanley just chucks it to where he thinks Noah Fant's going to be. Easy interception. Iowa couldn't win the game because of that. On that play, we had three timeouts. Take a timeout, Nate. You're a junior. You're second-year starter. Take a timeout. Or if you do snap it, you got to look over there and see, oh, crap, no fan hasn't moved at all. He's not running his route. Chuck it through the back of the end zone. Just stuff like that. Um, he ended 18 of 49, 205 yards, no touchdowns, two picks, a 13.2 QBR. The other pick he had was returned to Iowa's own three-yard line, gave Penn State a super easy touchdown. Iowa's offense produced zero points. Their drives ended in field goals. Iowa's touchdown were a special team's trick play on, hey, guess what, a drive that stalled in our red zone. (laughs) And a pick six. So, you know, we like to be positive on this show. We do not single out a kid very often. But Nate Stanley, dude, you cost this game. Honorable mentions to the Ferentz family because you want to talk about questionable coaching decisions. Oh, I have questionable coaching. We actually have a guest questionable coaching decision for this one, Josh. So I want to hear yours first. All right. Well, mine is Iowa surviving some shaky play. They blew their 12-0 lead, but they have a 17-14 lead late in the first half. So Okay, hold on, I, Josh. I'm going to cut you off here because this uh, – my, my dad literally called me on <laughs> Sunday to ask this question. Or I should say he didn't call me today. I, I talked to him today. He asked me about the specifics of going for it on this exact play, so I'm glad you brought great, it up. Great minds think alike. So go on. Yeah, so it's, you know, it's first half closing moments. Iowa gets the ball to start the second half. They've got a lead. They're facing a fourth and ten. And they line up the backup quarterback under center, Stanley off to the side, well behind the line. Very obvious double pass formation. Penn State doesn't bite, turnover on downs. Penn State gets to drive a very short field, set up a field goal to tie the game, take all the momentum. It, it made no sense. You, you kick it, you pin Penn State deep, you go in at half with the lead. Dumb. Yeah, dumb. There's, there's 37 seconds left in the game, or 44 seconds of the game at the beginning of the play. Yeah. Like, coach, like, what do you, I mean, it's at, you're at what? They're at what? The Penn State 42, I think, at this point, Josh? It was on Iowa's side of the, yeah, it was on Iowa's side of the 50. Okay, so it was in the minus, it was on the minus 42, right? Yeah. Correct. Uh, No, sorry, sorry. It it was Penn State's 42. So it was at least positive field. Yeah, Penn State's 42. But essentially the midfield. But it's fourth and 10. Fourth and 10. And 
44, sec- or 44 seconds left in the first half. You're up 17-14. It's fourth and 10. And you're getting the ball to start the second half. Pin them. Pin them. You, yep. your, your defense has played, you know, not a great game, but well enough at this point. No, the defense had played phenomenal. The only touchdown at that point that Penn State, you know, had had was the three-yard field that we gave them. Penn State had one drive that was nice. They put together a drive, and then they had a three-yard field gifted by Stanley's interception. Pin pin them deep and and let your defense go to work. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. That's that's my opinion. Pin them deep, let your defense go to work. Yeah, definitely not the the greatest coach game uh, by Ference and company in this one. Yeah. Well, one last thing. One one momentum is, is... Irreplaceable there. Yeah. Uh, one last thing. Look, Stanley gets about 65%. Ference family gets about 30%. That leaves 5%. After the pick six, Iowa cuts at 24-27. The ensuing kickoff, terrible lanes. The kick didn't get through the end zone. All the kicks on that side of the field had gone through the end zone. So I don't know if it was a miss hit or Iowa was trying to get cute and pin them. I don't know, but the the kick was returnable, poor lane discipline, sixty seven yard return to the Iowa thirty one already put Penn State in field goal territory. Uh defense did their part, they held, forced the field goal, but it made a three point game a six point game. Um again, it wouldn't have mattered because Iowa drove down the field, they had a first and goal, but Still, it, it, it forced Iowa to play, oh, crap, we need a touchdown, rather than, all right, we just need to get to field goal territory and then see if we are fortunate enough to score a touchdown. But I think it just added to the panic in Iowa that a junior and second-year starter ought not have. I mean, throw it through the back of the end zone. Absolutely. Absolutely. Coach, uh, Penn State seemed to pull this one out of their butt, but I still don't believe in this team going forward. No, I, I don't either. Um, they they just seem every win is just an epic struggle and fight to to finish. And I don't think they can hold up winning like that. They they need they need to show that they can win. I don't want to say with more ease, but I think if they if they want to prove to everybody that they're a elite and not a great football program, uh, to take the words from James Franklin, they they need to win in elite fashion. They need to if they want to be elite. They've got to absolutely take care of it. When, when I was playing like Iowa was playing, uh, where Stanley was missing throws, they were, they were going for it on fourth and 10 right around midfield, things like that. You, you've got to be able to make them pay and pay dearly for those, for those mistakes. If Nate Stan, if somebody like Nate Stanley is going to be off like he was, you got to make them pay. You got to make them pay dearly, and and that's what elite teams do. If if Nate Stanley walked into the horseshoe and started playing like that, you think Ohio State would have would have made him pay? Most most afternoons they would have. If he walks into Ann Arbor, plays like that, you think Michigan's going to make him pay? That defense, yeah, they're going to make him pay, and and that's what these you know elite programs are. And Iowa's defense, you know. For them to overcome and make this game competitive, despite Noah St- or Noah Stanley, uh, Nate Stanley playing so poorly, shows that Iowa State is on the verge of of kind of being uh, at least 
an elite defensive unit or just kind of have some elite qualities about their team, even if they're not necessarily, even if you wouldn't classify them as an elite program, they certainly play like it at times. And and this is one of those instances where if you're an elite program and, and you're struggling yourself, you seem to kind of keep games close against quality opponents and you can and you can pull out of it your yourself and it just didn't, doesn't seem like Penn State can can do either of the things I just mentioned. Uh, everything's a struggle for them. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, all right. Well, uh, before we get to our next game, uh, Josh, I think Iowa plays Purdue next. Is that correct? That is correct. Uh, did, did you hear uh, Jeff Brom's quote uh, today? No, I didn't. What did he say? Uh, well, Jeff Brown, after Purdue just lost to Michigan State this weekend, Jeff Brown said uh, Iowa is a far superior team to Michigan State. I mean, like, I don't know why he's saying that. Um, but I got to be honest, I watched a lot of that Michigan State-Purdue game. That, that offense is still awful. Yeah. Michigan State's such a one – sided team you can't even say they're one-dimensional because they aren't they have an amazing defense and then a what the hell is going on on the offensive side of the ball type program still it's a very weird thing to say as a coach maybe he's trying to hype his kids up maybe he's trying to uh, lull Iowa into a false sense of something but um you know Iowa after that Wisconsin game they came out super sharp against Indiana, I think this is going to be, um, you know, I think Stanley plays best when he's angry. And you saw it, probably his best passes in that second half were after he winked his thumb off of a teammate's helmet and he looked really pissed off. And he actually strung a couple decent throws together. Uh, I think he knows that he blew the game. I think he's going to play angry. And I don't know if it'll be enough to beat Purdue because Purdue's so fast. And when Rondell Moore gets going, it, it's tough to stop the train. But um, I think at least theoretically, Iowa is going to put together some good game plans unlike, uh, well, like what we just talked about. All right. Well, I will also be at that game. Ooh, Josh, where will you be sitting? I have yet to buy my tickets, so uh, very weird scenario. They were like $70 before this weekend, and I was like, well, Iowa, we got a tough road trip. Purdue, they got a tough road trip. I'll, I'll do a touch of some gambling. Both teams lost. I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to go on. They're going to be like $40. They've gone up in price. Makes zero sense. No. Anyway, let's move on to the Big 12 oh. where – where uh, Texas' <laughs> game win streak came to an end in Stillwater this weekend. They thought uh, the Longhorns had no answer for Taylor Cornelius. He led Oklahoma State to over 500 yards of total offense. Coach, how are the Pokes able to move the ball so effectively against a Texas defense that had been one of the better units in the conference so far this season? <laughs> well, um, Cornelius was uh, considered himself a power back, or he thought of himself as a power back. Uh, that would be Taylor Cornelius. He had uh, he had a touchdown where he went flying through the air. Uh, Talon Wallace was was also somebody that just emerged as uh, you know <laughs> as a huge target. Um, I'm laughing because uh, as I read this article, uh, I'm reading uh, Taylor Cornelius's uh, nickname is Corn Dog. 
Um, Mike Gundy said uh, that Corn Dog is a tough guy. He's a competitor. Um, but t- Tylen Wallace, ten catches for two hundred and twenty-two yards and two touchdowns. Guy was a freaking beast all night long. You couldn't cover him. He was all over the field. Uh, he was helping his boy Corn Dog out and uh, just you know going up and making jump ball catches, running great routes, and just kind of showing himself as like, man, I you know I never really. You know, this might be kind of a, you know, get your head out of the sand moment, but I didn't know Tylen Wallace was that good. I don't think any of us did. I mean, and, they've been looking for a number one receiver ever since James Washington graduated. Well, he they just showed up. They sure as heck found one. Um, but this game was in this game was insane because at at one point when Tylen Wallace I think caught his second touchdown. Um. No, it wasn't a sec- Yeah, it was a second touchdown where he, where he had that jump ball where the two Texas defenders completely mistimed their jump, and he just went up and got it and said, thank you, I'll take that. It, it became 31-14, and I was like, well, shoot, they're going to run away with this thing. Texas came back. Uh, Sam Ellinger was, uh, you know, he had a shoulder injury, suffered in a previous game. Um, he was running like he was, uh, like he was a reincarnation of Jake Locker, who um, – Jake Locker thought uh, he was a running back and often forgot he was actually playing quarterback. Um, he uh, he got heavily involved there in the red zone, running z- that zone read option, uh, scored a couple touchdowns on that, um, which was pretty impressive uh, for as many uh, quarterback run uh, touchdowns there were in this in this ball game. But I mean. Uh, this is a game that I gave up on and shouldn't have. Uh, and really, I just gave up on it because I slept like maybe not even four hours the, the previous night. So uh, my body just quit after all of the uh, after all of the stress that I went through watching the Georgia Florida game. Because Matt, uh, you know that uh, I'm extremely calm and do not ever run the gamut of emotions. When no, Coach, you Georgia you would Florida. never let your emotions get the best of you during a Georgia so, game ever. So, but, so between the emotions that uh, that I had for my Friday night almost victory over Beach, um, my uh, less than four hours of sleep, and my Georgia-Florida uh, game, I, I didn't see any of these uh, night games really because I passed out. My body quit, and I woke up, and my, my entire – from my waist down was, was just completely like I'd – like I'd ran ten miles because I I fell asleep funkily on the the couch in the ottoman in my uh, well okay okay hold on so for those of you who don't know uh, Corey uh, for those of you who don't know Corey Burton's couch might be the single most comfortable couch in the entire world I have fallen asleep on that more times than I can count exactly uh, and you know I probably come over to your place at least once a week and I probably fall asleep on a good fifty to sixty percent of those on your couch yeah. And and Laura Laura doesn't uh, my wife she she doesn't like when I sit down oftentimes because she goes yeah when you when you sit on the couch we, we can't watch any shows together because you just do not make it yeah um, you, you can't last like she watched the entire she watched seven episodes of a show on TLC called uh, Married at First Sight she watched apparently she watched seven episodes while I was just snoozing away on the couch. <laughs> She should have called my. She should have called, should have called my wife because uh, that is uh, one of her favorite shows as well. That's how comfortable this couch is. But um, unfortunately, as good of a game this is, uh, 
the story of this game is obviously going to be uh, Mike Gundy and, and Tom Herman almost throwing down and then bro hugging at the end. Uh, of yeah, the game. Uh, Josh. Speaking of Tom Herman, uh, I know you were uh, you were happy to see him lose again. Yeah, I mean it's just typical Tom Herman. He's an overrated coach. It's that simple. And everyone's going, "Oh, Texas, they're so good. Oh, they're finally playing some defense." Yeah, it's easy to play defense when your winning streak was Tulsa. They which were, they barely uh, beat. They I think yeah. they won twenty eight twenty one or something like that. Yeah, and we talked about them not winning a conference game yet. That USC game. Oh, hey, the Trojans have fallen apart and are going to be firing Clay Helton. They beat TCU. Oh, hey, they're under five hundred. They beat Kansas you State. Jackson's available if you, you know. Yeah, they beat Kansas State. Oh, hey, there's another team that's under five hundred. They're three and five, one and four in conference. They beat Baylor. Oh, hey, Baylor is two and three, four and four overall. Yeah, they beat Oklahoma, but not because of their defense. In fact, their defense almost gave the game away. So they finally run up against a offensive mind. Oklahoma State's had a little up and down offensive season because they've graduated about a million players the last few years. But Mike Gundy knows a crap load about offense. And guess what? They took advantage of that. West Virginia next week, probably going to take advantage of that. Texas Tech in two weeks, probably going to take advantage of that. I mean, people are going on and on about Texas's defense. They're tied for 53rd in points against. It's not an elite defense. They had a good stretch of play against some crap opponents. This is not the final loss on a magnificent season for Texas. It's the first of several losses that potentially can happen. And even if they do manage to get back to the Oklahoma matchup in the Big 12 title game, the I don't know why they have one, but if they play each other again, Oklahoma's going to run them out of the building because Oklahoma's not going to be fooled on what tripped them up in their previous matchup. So the, the playoff stuff, the yeah, the Texas running away with the conference, that was just false narrative by ESPN knowing that they own the Longhorn Network and trying to prop up a team that is okay, good. They're not great, and they're not back, and they won't be back with Tom Herman. So that's simple. No, they, they they definitely won't be. I'm I'm with you there, Josh. I think that this Texas team is still a year or two away. Well, I think they're about a coach or two away. Oh, uh, I I still do like their defensive coordinator though. I think he, uh, I think he's a good coach. I just don't think that they have the talent there necessary to really compete in the Big Twelve mm-hmm. just yet. Let's head over though to the Pac-12 next. Uh, the biggest game of the weekend took place on the farm. Washington State was able to come in and win a back-and-forth game with a Blake Mazza field goal with 19 seconds left to secure the victory there. Uh, the final in this one, 41-38. to 38. Josh, another tough blow for the Cardinal this weekend. Yeah, it's just they can't do what they want to do, and that is – Run the ball and play defense. Run, yeah. run the ball, run the clock, keep that going. Run the ball, ball, ball. Uh, Bryce Love, uh, an okay day. Six runs, 71 yards. His health does not allow him to be. I, f- I feel bad for Bryce Love. He should have come out for the NFL last year. Yeah. It, 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 I mean, he would have been a first-round pick last year, and his stock has dropped significantly. He's going to be a third-round pick at best at this point. Yeah. 
Uh, running backs don't have a long livelihood in the NFL anymore. If you can, I suggest you come out. But, you know, Bryce Love, he wants to be a doctor. He's, like, doing a bunch of medical stuff. So who knows? Maybe he doesn't really care about the NFL. I mean, uh, I, I hope he doesn't because his future is probably not going to be there for very long. Yeah. But, yeah, so Stanford, they don't have the running game that they like. Their defense is really struggling. Um and then, like, they're just not – they're just not, like, the killer team that we expect. And by killer team, I mean how many times does Stanford wear you down and then they're the ones winning a fourth quarter 17-7. Well, that's what Washington State did to them. Washington State wore them down, won that fourth quarter, won in money time, and just projecting ahead – for Wazoo, like, it, it would be stunning if they messed this up because they host Cal. Cal's a really nice defensive team, but I don't think the Golden Bears have enough offense to upset Wazoo up in the Palouse. They travel to Colorado. Colorado's free-falling. Um, then they host Arizona. Look, I can joke about Arizona coming back to win the back 12 South, but it's probably not going to happen. They're not going to win in Pullman. No way. Yeah. And then that just leaves Washington. Now, maybe Washington gets their act together. They win the conference with the head-to-head tiebreaker. But Washington does not have an easy stretch because their next game is against the Stanford Cardinal team. And Stanford's got a lot of flaws, but Washington has as many. So, they, you know, Washington might be 4-3, and three, the next time we do our, our recap show, and, and then it doesn't really matter. Then Washington could still win the Apple Cup and Wazoo gets to go to the Pac-12 title game. So I would be stunned if Wazoo chokes this away. Gutty victory. They are a dangerous team. And even with one loss and people not being very high in the Pac-12, I don't think their playoff hopes are dashed yet. There's still going to be some more mayhem. There, there absolutely is, Coach. And even though they don't have a running game, uh, Gardner Minshew, Coach, is uh, has been, you know, the transfer from Eastern Washington, one of the best quarterbacks in the country this year. Yeah, I mean, it's it's insane what, what this Washington I mean, he was 40 for 50 in this game. That's 80% completion, 438 yards, three touchdowns. That's well, – that's outstanding. They did score a rushing touchdown. Um, <laughs> pretty crazy. Um, but they do have a really good uh, running back here in the wing. He's a freshman. Uh, Bor- Borgie, I think is how you pronounce his name. Um, he's going to be a special back, and he's going to give uh, he's going to give the Pirates some things to uh, to work with and to become more uh, more balanced. But um, and you got to hear uh, Mike Leach's definition of being balanced. Uh, it's not 50% run, 50% pass. His definition of being balanced is having everyone uh, truly impact the game, which he does that. He does. He definitely does that. And, uh, you know, just Washington State can just score so many different ways. Uh, their swing routes to the running backs are considered uh, part of their, quote, run game. I mean, they are. I mean, for, 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 the, for the offense that Mike Leach runs, they, they are. They are effectively yeah, it, it 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 was born out of the it was born out of the West Coast uh, system. 
Uh, there was actually a really cool article that was floating around on Twitter about the the origins of the air raid offense, where Hal Mummy and uh, Mike Leach were at uh, Iowa Western Community College, and uh, they had a quarterback uh, that couldn't. You know, they had a, a quarterback that could that that was decent, but they didn't have any any really anything else, and they needed something that they could uh, that they could do to uh, you know give them an advantage, and and that's that's kind of what they came up with. And uh, here you go. Uh, but Gardner Minshew, forty of fifty, four thirty-eight, and three touchdowns, uh, just absolutely amazing. Unfortunately, I do not have the Pac-12 Network, so I was relegated to just to just watching the highlights on this one. Uh, the 35-yard pass to Jameer Calvin uh, was was absolutely incredible. Uh, just a short little dig route over the middle. Jameer Calvin broke three tackles and scampered down to put him in scoring position. Uh, that was one of the biggest catches. And then there was another one uh, he threw into the end zone. I think it was on a post route in the end zone. was was absolutely incredible as well. Um, of course, Jaws uh, for Stanford uh, kept a minute. Uh, KJ Costello kept a minute. Uh, Stanford played extremely well, uh, not well enough here. Uh, I don't think they got enough contribution from Bryce Love. I think their defense was just uh, overwhelmed uh, with what Washington State was able to do. Um, and they, uh, fortunately for Stanford, they were able to stay in this because their offense really came to play, but their defense didn't, um, or this would have been a blowout. So uh, I, I think, honestly, my takeaway – from seeing the score and seeing the highlights was that uh, Washington state can play some defense. Um, they forced, they forced some, some big turnovers. Um, so they can play some defense. They have a kicking game. There's no doubt they could score. They've always been able to score since the pirate has gotten there, but uh, the defense is finally kind of catching up and they're able to win these big games. Yeah, man. I mean, Tracy Clays has been uh, a revelation for the Cougars, Josh. Yeah, I mean, he, we've talked about it before. He was instrumental in Jerry Kill starting to turn some things around in Minnesota. He's a really good defensive coach. He really uh, is. Uh, he became a head coach, and, you know, it was his first time being a head coach. Um, he is a very, very small town Kansas guy. I don't know anything about his politics, but if I were to guess, I would say he's very conservative and he was coaching at a very progressive city, St. Paul, Minneapolis area. So it's one of the liberal havens we have. It's a very progressive university. They put the liberal and liberal arts up in Minnesota. And so it was kind of an inexperienced coach round peg, trying to fit into like a square hole or a square peg and a round hole, whatever you want to call it. And on top of that, like the university wasn't communicating with why those kids need to be disciplined very well, that players then went on what they thought was supporting their teammate protest. University wants plays to tell those kids, get back in practice. We need to make money off of you. And the coach is thinking, well, I, I can't have a mutiny on my hands. I got to support my players. So he becomes the fall guy and Hey, that it's life. Sometimes it really sucks, but it's to Washington state's gain. Tracy clays. I don't think he's going to, um, you know, 
be denied a second crack, especially what he's doing at Washington State. He just needs to find the right fit to be a head coach. But, you know, Tracy Clays is one hell of a defensive mind. Yeah, he will definitely get another gig as a head coach just for what he has done here at Wazoo. He He probably got the job because he totally shut down Washington State in that bowl game in what ended up being his last game coached on Minnesota's sideline. Yeah, I mean, it took a year because Alex Gibbs was there last year, and he did a very nice job as well. But, all right, well, let's finally head uh, to Evanston. Guys, we need to talk about my Badgers. No Alex Hornerbrook in this one. His replacement, Jack Cohn, uh, Blackjack, uh, as I like to call him, he actually looked pretty solid. He was 20 for 31, uh, threw for a touchdown, no interceptions, but only averaged about five yards per attempt. He had a really bad fumble. But speaking of fumbles, Jonathan Taylor tailback, even though he leads the nation in rushing, he had two more fumbles in this one, both of which were recovered by the Wildcats. That gives, yeah, him, that one gives, was him, that one gives him 10 on his career. One was, a quarterback, one was a quarterback exchange. Okay. I don't, I don't know why those are solely blamed on the running back. Well, either way, the other one was pretty atrocious. Coach, how do you cure fumbleitis? Practice. You just work uh, ball security drills and put them in as many adverse situations as you can to get them to focus on wrist above the elbows, uh, press against the body, um, cover it in traffic, things like that. You just got to, you know, you have all the tools and all the bells and whistles you can that you can do in practice. You just got to you just got to force them to to do it and put them in situations where they have to do it and where it's advent, advantageous against advantageous wow, I really can't say that word. Um advantageous uh, for the defense um in the in the scenarios. That's how you do it. And then uh, get them to get them to believe if they can hold it in those type scenarios, they can hold it on the road in Evanston uh, when, when the game's on the line. Yeah, Josh, you know as well as I do, for some reason, Evanston is just a house of horrors for Wisconsin and Iowa. I mean, I was I was pretty furious during this one, especially at the play calling. I thought it was way too vanilla. Josh, at this point, the, the Badgers, like, you, every team knows exactly what they're going to do on every yeah. single down, it seems. Yeah, and, and we like to call that the Greg Davis stage of watching football. That's what Iowa fans went through. And it, it's, it's not fun. And it just, it, it's not a winning formula. And at this point, I kind of feel like Wisconsin's out of the big 10 title race. Because, they are. Oh, they're, they're completely out. Uh, yeah. Northwestern is in the driver's seat at this point. Yeah. Northwestern's in the driver's seat. Wisconsin, has a head-to-head tiebreaker loss to Northwestern. But, I mean, the Badgers are still they're, – they're going to lose to Penn State. I think there's zero doubt about that at this point. They get to play Rutgers this week, thank goodness. Yeah, but. yeah I mean, w- Wisconsin has a tough schedule left at Penn State, at Purdue. Um, if Iowa can get past Purdue, they do host Northwestern in Iowa City. So Iowa fans are kind of thinking, hey, if we can get Purdue, if we can get Northwestern, and if we can get Nebraska – uh, we end up six and two. Wisconsin loses again. They go five, five and, and three. Yep, yeah. five and three. Northwestern also goes six and two, but Iowa has the head-to-head tiebreaker. Um, obviously, if Iowa loses this weekend at Purdue, 
it's done. And Northwestern is going to Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. I don't know how they succeed in that game, but uh, they need to just do, honestly, what they did to Wisconsin, which is just turn it into a slop. And Northwestern looked like Michigan State just wearing purple. Uh, they had three turnovers. They had a litany of their own struggles, but their defense just refused to break. They took advantage of Wisconsin's vanilla play calling. They took advantage of every missed opportunity and every mistake Wisconsin made. You know, um, three fumbles in this game for the yeah. Badgers. Yeah, um, one that I was thinking of uh, that was an interesting moment was. Uh, Northwestern scratches out a 21 to 10 lead. They kick a field goal, make it two touchdown lead. Wisconsin comes down the field, missed field goal. And, and that's the kind of day that Northwestern. I believe that, that was a long field goal. I think that wasn't that was, was that the one that was like a, like a 55 yarder or something like that. Uh, yeah. 51 yarder. Yeah, that's, that, that, that wasn't even Gagalian Onan kicking that one. That was uh, – No, that was Raphael kicking Was it? I thought it was uh, Incy or whatever his name is. No, he went one for one. Oh. This was – yeah. Um, you know, that might have been a situation. It was only fourth and five. Maybe a, a more aggressive coach goes for it. I I, 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 coach, I know you would have gone for it in that time. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But you go for it every time. Yep, I do. <laughs> they say oh. 60% of the time it works every time. <laughs> all right well uh guys uh josh I, i'm afraid though that we buried the lead yeah especially since our pre-show meetings that we were going to talk about washington at cal i had my notes up for that so that's that's weird uh but yeah we did bury the lead on arkansas uh they gave up 45 points to a vanderbilt team that i think it scored about 35 points all season up to that point it was ugly and in all seriousness, this was Arkansas's last best chance for getting a conference victory. And they've got LSU next, at Mississippi State, at Missouri. That's a tough sled to try and get that win. And I, I know some people are thinking, well, what's the difference between three and nine and two and ten and, and just going, you know, zero and eight versus one and seven, coach. It means a whole hell of a lot difference in terms of momentum and and what coaches are thinking. Correct. That's correct. Yeah. So missed opportunity for the Razorbacks. I guess this was kind of a sad bearing the lead. Normally it's more mock mocking, but uh, yeah, too bad. Well, you know, at least they're not the Buffalo Bills, who, as we watch right now, it is third and 32. They are down 25 to six with one minute and 19 seconds left. So at least you're not the Buffalo Bills. Well, call me when Peterman gets in the game. I could use a laugh. Oh, gosh. I mean, if Peterman gets in the game, it's a guaranteed pick six. I don't think he's ever played a game where he hasn't thrown a pick six. (laughs) Nice. Hey, hey, Matt. Um, Hey, hey, Coach. Speaking of NFL, I picked up Kenyon Barner. And started him because I thought maybe he would get some some run out. Well, he should have gotten some run out, but uh, yeah, the the Patriots run game this game has not exactly been a uh, stellar so far. He's got point four um, yards per five, carry. No, he's got point four fantasy points. Oh, which I uh, think is also about his uh, yards per carry in this one as well. True. Um, but yeah, I, I'm losing one ninety two point three to one thirty nine and a half. 
Sorry to hear that, Coach. Sorry to hear that. All right. Well, I think that's going to do it for us here uh, on the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast for the evening in Week 9. So on behalf of our own offensive coordinator, the coach, Corey Burton, here in Nashville, Tennessee, and our own intrepid blogger from Big Ten Accounting, Josh Cook, up there in the Windy City, Chicago, Illinois. This is the professor in Nashville. And so long and see you next time on the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. Yes. Thanks for listening to the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. To get in touch with the show, email us at illegalmotionpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at illegal underscore motion. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.